Hi everyone and welcome to the This Week in British History podcast. Before we get started, this is an audio version of the YouTube series This Week in British History, which is available on the British History Tours uh, uh, channel. So just to let you know that if you want to watch so that you also get the visuals, there is a link in the show notes on this podcast, which will give you the link to YouTube. But I've also recorded this, so in a way that I hope you can enjoy it fully also as a podcast. All right, let's get started. Hello everyone, welcome to the latest episode of This Week in British History with me, Philippa Lacey Brawl. I run a small company called British History Tours and when we're not touring, I create videos around history, British history, and you can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. If you're listening on the podcast, welcome. I really appreciate you listening in. If you're watching on YouTube, hi, welcome. And you may decide that next week you want to listen, or if you're listening, you might want to watch next week. It's, the links are in the show notes of both, so you can you can chop and change and choose as it suits you. So the this week in British history series is for 2020 only. Each episode goes live on a Sunday and looks at events which happened over the past week in British history. This week we're covering events which happened between the 17th and the 23rd of August. This week we'll be looking at a story which is important, especially if you are into looking at your family heritage and history, and it's the Birth and Deaths Act. We're also looking at the Pendle Witch Trials, Big Ben chimes for the last time, and it's the Battle of Bosworth and the Dawn of the Tudors. On the 17th of August 1836, the Births and Deaths Registration Act was brought into effect, and along with it, the General Registry Office. It made it necessary for all civil births, marriages and deaths to be recorded, which had not been the case prior to this time. So prior to this, there had been no national civil system for recording births, marriages and deaths. It had, they had always been recorded in parish records, your local Church of England records. However, there were many more people not going to church. There was a relaxation on people being able to follow different faiths, including the Catholic faith, which meant that births, marriages and deaths, keep repeating that, uh, which happened outside of the Church of England were not being recorded uh, or were being recorded in a different place. There was no centralisation. And so this was important. This brought together the, the recording of such important events in individuals, families, but also the population. The 18th of August 1612 saw the opening of the Pendle Witch Trials. They lasted two days and on the 20th of August, 12 people from the same village, Pendle, were hung, found guilty of causing the death of 10 others through witchcraft. In 1612, James I was on the throne. The threat of a Catholic rebellion was felt to be very great. This was not long after Guy Fawkes and his team plotted to blow up the Houses of Parliament with James and his son in there. And James was known to be extremely paranoid about witches and witchcraft. He wrote a book called Demonology, which is effectively a mandate to the English people to find out and kill anyone they suspected of dealing in witchcraft. In the book, James wrote that children, women and liars could be witnesses over high treason against God. Um, now that was a change in the judicial system. The testimonies of children and women were permissible, 
in this case, and indeed they were used. Indeed, in the Pendle witch trials case, it was a child who stood up in court and denounced her mother, grandmother, brother, her family as witches and practicing or knowing of, of witchcraft and also her neighbours. So the testimony of a child caused the deaths of 12 of her family and close neighbours. The court clerk, Thomas Potts, made a book from all of his notes from the trial. That book became a bestseller and it spread the story of the trials around the country, but further afield also to the American colonies. Magistrates used it as a prompt to say, well, we can use the testimonies of children in cases of, um, in trials for witchcraft. And the testimonies of children were sought and used uh, in a courts of law, including the Salem witch trials in 1692. What I find most disturbing about the Pendle witch trials and subsequent witch trials, including Salem, is that it seemed so easy in the end to get families and neighbours to turn on each other. Family members gave testimony against family members, neighbours accused each other of witchcraft. It was very easy in the end to turn people against each other with absolutely devastating consequences. Shall we go a bit lighter now? So, <laughs> 2017 saw Big Ben strike for not the last time, the last time you'd have heard it would have been in 2017 and that was because there was repair work needed to be done to it. Now, I think we're all holding out hope that 2021 turns out to be a good year. I think we are definitely deserving of a good year and it will be when we hear Big Ben chime once again. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know, Big Ben is the bell inside the clock at the Houses of Parliament or Houses uh, Westminster Palace in London. So it's, it is the actual bell. Now it's in what was called the Clock Tower. It's had a few different names actually, but the Clock Tower, uh, now known as the Elizabeth Tower after the Queen's Jubilee in 2012. It's not the first time that Big Ben has been silenced. In 1916, during the First World War, the clock face illumination was extinguished and the bells didn't ring so as not to give away the location of obviously such an iconic uh, building to the German uh, Zeppelins. The restoration work hasn't just been for the bell, it's also been the clock, the clock mechanism and the tower itself. Once it's recommissioned, it shouldn't need any more work doing to it for the next two centuries. Over the last few weeks, I've mentioned the movements of Henry VII as he landed at Milford Haven and made his way through Wales, gaining support, ready to meet Richard III on the battlefield. Well, the 22nd of August, 1485 was that date where he met Richard and they had their showdown. The Battle of Bosworth Field on the 22nd of August 1485 was to be the final battle in the Wars of the Roses between the Lancastrians and the Yorkists. The Yorkist side was led by Richard III, the reigning monarch of England, and the Lancastrians led by Henry Tudor. Henry Tudor had spent most of his life in exile in France. I visited Bosworth on a number of occasions and taken groups there as well. And if you can get there, it's, it's a lovely place to go. Um, usually on the anniversary of the battle, they have an event. I'm not sure if that's happening in 2020, but um, if you can go when it when it is happening, then then I'd recommend that you do. 
When you go, you can follow a path around which takes you to a well which is reported to have been the final place that Richard III took a drink before battle. Richard III is reported to have been quite glad of the chance to go to battle with Henry Tudor, put his claims to the throne firmly aside. He was uh, a usurper, he, his, his claim to the throne was very tenuous and Richard III thought this was a great chance to squash this usurper wannabe. However, it did not work out that way. We owe some of the language that we use around the battle and the war uh, down to Shakespeare. He coined the terms of the Wars of the Roses and his famous Richard III line, a horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse, which although that is poetic license, we don't know that Richard, uh, Richard didn't say that, uh, but he did lose his horse and given the option of taking a horse and fleeing the battlefield, Richard remained steadfast. He's reported to have said, this day I die a king or I win. Famously, Richard's remains were found in a car park in Leicester and they had been very cleverly discovered um, based on an understanding of where the Greyfriars Priory had been, where Richard was buried near the altar. Um, an amazing discovery, absolutely incredible. But because of the discovery, we are able to understand exactly how he died. Experts have been able to decipher how he died or the likely cause of death and he did have multiple head injuries. When he was dead he was stripped and his body flung over the back of a horse. Some reports say he was trussed up like a boar which was his, um, his badge, his emblem. There was zero respect for the body of the previous king as the body was taken to Leicester for burial. If you go to Leicester and you go to the Richard III Centre, you can see you, there's a glass floor over the burial pit where Richard was buried and where he was found. But he was reinterred in Leicester Cathedral, which is literally, I don't know, 50 metres away from the Richard III Centre. And he was reinterred there in 2015. And you can go and see his tomb in Leicester Cathedral and pay your respects. So the Battle of Bosworth Field saw the end of the Yorkists. It saw the end of the Plantagenet era and the dawn of the Tudor dynasty. Thank you everyone for joining me this week for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please make sure you're subscribed. Hit the bell for notifications of when a new video goes live. Give it the thumbs up. That helps other people to see it as well. Have a great week. I will see you all next time. Bye.